Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Foursquare Church Audio Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Stay tuned for today's sermon. Enjoy, and God bless. So let's pray today. Before we read the the word, I want us to just, just pray together and ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to to receive, to hear and receive. Will you just stretch forth your hands towards me? And I want you to pray for me. As I am praying for you, will you pray for me? Father, I thank you, Lord God, for this day. I thank you for this church, for this people. I just pray your blessings, God, upon this time. So we turn our hearts to your word, God. Give us the ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say. Holy Spirit, hide me behind the anointing of God. I pray that man is not seen, but that the word of the Lord is heard in this house today. So, Spirit of God, come. I know you're already here, but manifest in a greater in a greater way, I pray. We yield our members to you. We want to hear from heaven this morning. So come and be with us now, sir. Bless this time we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your prayers. Well, today we return to the series, Famous Women of the Bible, and continue to address the issue of racial and political divide that is plaguing our great nation. Thank you, Terrence. I want to commend you for being a people who wants to hear and who are willing to accept God's perspective on this sensitive but volatile issue. The response from many of you to the first message in this series, which of course I did two weeks ago, was nothing short of amazing. So thank you for being seekers of the truth and for hearing and responding in your heart to what you heard the Lord say to you. In today's sermon, we're going to look at another woman who was instrumental in tearing down the walls of prejudice and segregation that existed in Israel during her day. Let me give you some odd but interesting facts about this very famous woman. The first fact is this. We do not know her name. The second fact is, we do not know how old she were. And the third is, we do not know if she had any children who may have benefited from her moment of fame. The only thing we know is this. This woman lived a life of promiscuity that was perhaps born out of brokenness. We also know of the encounter she had with Jesus and how God used that meeting to show the nation of Israel that racism and prejudices rooted in ethnocentric thinking 
has no place in the message of love that Jesus came to both teach and demonstrate. This famous woman who throughout the ages has remained nameless became the recipient of an acceptance from our Lord that at the time was considered abominable. Turn with me to John chapter 4. Very familiar passage of scripture, John chapter 4. And we are going to begin our reading in verse 3. And I want to welcome those that are viewing online today and those who will view this in days and weeks and months to come. John chapter 4, verse 3. And I'm reading from the NLT. So he, Jesus, left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan, the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, being tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well, and it was about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift, of, the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus said. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. You're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now. 
when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is a spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. <laughs> Using this passage of scripture for our main text today, I want to share with you a message entitled, May I Have Some Water, Please? I believe our Foursquare family and Restoration Church are poised to lead this nation and our community to a place of racial and cultural healing. As I shared in the last message, if real change is going to come to America, it must come by way of the church. We are the redeemed of the Lord. And we should not see and understand the challenges of our day through the eyes of the world, but through the eyes of God. God is the one who should be shaping our perspective on these issues, not the world or anyone, anyone or anything that is of this world or that, that brings a world's perspective. In this message, I'm going to share with you five points I believe the Lord gave me as I prayed and meditated on what to say. So please listen with the same openness and honesty you listened with two weeks ago. And if you do, many of you will find freedom today. A freedom that comes by way of God's word and only by way of the word of God. Here's point number one. Meet people where they are. Meet people where they are. To tear down the walls of division and become vessels of reconciliation, we have to meet people where they are, not where we want them to be, not where we think they should be, but at their current state of reality, whatever that reality is, we must meet them there. Jesus passing through Samaria was not for geographical reasons, but was by divine compulsion. And when we're open, when we, the church, are open to the leading of the Holy Spirit as Jesus was, he will direct our path and lead us to places we would not go to on our own. But we must be spirit-led. To impact this woman's life, Jesus had to go to her because she was not going to come to him. And this was a big deal. Because the people of Israel avoided Samaria and the people of Samaria like it was like they were a deadly plague. 
The Jews had no use for this group of people that they considered to be dogs. They considered them to be the scum of the earth. The lowest of the low. Half-breeds who were considered unclean. Not only was their presence not welcomed, their presence was avoided altogether by Israel. Yet Jesus made it his business to pass through this region because he was on an assignment from God. There was a nameless woman who had become famous that he had to meet. And knowing that she would not come to where he was, he went to her. To see the walls of racial and cultural separation come down, we must be willing to meet those who are different right where they are. We have to leave our places of comfort and familiarity and venture into regions and, please hear me, ideologies that we previously avoided. I want to say that again. To see walls of racism and cultural separation come down, we must be willing to meet the people who are different from us right where they are. That means we must leave our places of comfort and familiarity and go into regions and ideologies that we may have previously avoided. We've got to go to their place of understanding. We got to go to their realities of life. We've got to have conversation with them. We've got to hear their story. We've got to feel their pain. Learn about their struggles. When we do, it will change how we see them. It will change how we see them. Put up point number two. I want you to read it before I say it. We must get rid of tribal prejudices. Two months ago, I was in a meeting with the Council of Black Foursquare Leaders. And one of the pastors who serves on this council is from Nigeria. We were asked by our Foursquare leaders to discuss the events that took place in Charlottesville, Virginia, and provide feedback as to what we believed Foursquare's response should be. During our discussion, as we talked about the hatred and bigotry that was on display, my Nigerian friend 
made a comment that made me aware of a type of prejudice that is not rooted in race, but is tribal in nature. He said, and my Nigerian friends, please forgive me if I mispronounce these names, but I'm going to do my best. He said, in Nigeria, there are three major tribes. They are Igbo, Yoruba, and Hausa. And he said, as an Igbo, I want my daughter to marry an Igbo. From that statement, I came to understand both the concept and the power of of, of tribal prejudices. You see, his desire was not based on race. His desire was not based on color because they all looked the same on the outside. And I'm pretty sure that as Americans, we cannot distinguish between an Igbo, an Igbo, a Yoruba, or a Hasa. I don't think we could. But his desire was based on a tribal way of thinking that seems to suggest that my tribe is better than your tribe. As I reflected on this new revelation, I came to this conclusion. Are you ready? We all have tribal prejudices. We all have them. Tribal prejudices that we must rid ourselves of if we're going to see the walls of separation come down. You see, there's a real danger with the, with the idea of tribal prejudices in America. And the danger is this. Tribal prejudices can lead to racial prejudices because most Americans may not know how to discern between the two. All you know is you feel a certain way about someone because they're not part of your tribe. And if you're not careful, you could think you feel that way because of the way they look on the outside. So what are tribal prejudices? And how do they come about? The word tribal means relating to a group or community with similar ancestors, customs, and traditions. Tribal means displaying loyalty, to a tribe, to a group, or to tribal values. Prejudice means to have a preconceived opinion that is not, everyone say is not, not. that is not based on reason or actual experience. So the term tribal prejudice means to display loyalty to a group that is based on preconceived opinions instead of reason or actual experience. In other words, you don't like someone because the tribe told you you're not to like them. 
not because you have experienced anything from them, not because you have a valid reason, but because the tribe tells you this is the way you're supposed to respond. And listen, tribal prejudices are always the result of group morals, please hear me, instead of individual morals. Therefore, we must identify first and foremost with our Christ identity because groups or tribes are by nature more immoral than individuals are. By nature. Groups and tribes are more immoral than an individual. God can speak to you better as his child than he can as a member of a tribe or a group. Group have prejudices that are rooted in the identity of the group. So tribal prejudices are established and taught by groups or by the tribe. How does that relate to you? That tribe, please hear me, all eyes on pastor, all eyes on me, you got to get this. That tribe may be your family. That tribe may be your race. That tribe may be your political party. It may be your sex. Listen, that tribe may be the neighborhood you grew up in or even the school that educated you. See, people who graduated from the Ivy League have a certain distinction about them that set them apart from the rest of us peasants. If you graduated from the Ivy League school, please forgive me. That was just an example. But do you see what I mean? People who, like myself, I I attended Southern University, which is the largest historically black uh, college or university in, in America. And listen, growing up as a black American, living in a world that's all black, going to an all black school, black power was the thing. <laughs> now, it was, not, it was not something that I gravitated toward, but I'm telling you, that is the tribal mentality. So even the school that educated you, can create in you a thinking that that will cause separation and barriers to be put up racially and socially or culturally. Because we don't know how to distinguish between the tribe and the race. Listen, how about this one? That tribe may be your church. Maybe the church you grew up in. Matter of fact, I think that is one of the biggest 
challenges that we in America have to face in the church. Especially when you want to just grow your church or grow your ministry or make it all about what you're doing, then often it's done in a very religious way at the put down of others. That's why I love the Four Square Movement. Four Square is committed to interdenominational evangelism. We understand that it's not about us. And I've, I've tried since I've been pastor of this church to help you understand that Restoration Church is not about Restoration Church. We're part of the greater body. That is why every week we pick another church to pray for because I want you to understand that those people who do not fill these walls are just as important as we are in the eyes of God. We all have tribal prejudices because we've all been part of a group or a tribe. The Jews was very prejudiced towards the Samaritan people. Very prejudiced. So Jesus had to break out of the mentality he was raised with. Do you get this? He had to break out of the mentality that he was raised with and see the Samaritan woman not as someone who was beneath him, but as someone who needed the love of God. His behavior towards her was shocking. She was surprised that this Jew asked her for water because, listen, Jews hated Samaritans. And they refused to have anything to do with them. So when he asked her for water, she said, you are a Jew. And I, a Samaritan woman, why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus asked her for water because he was determined to get rid of his tribal prejudice. Point number three, share your water. Come on, Pastor. One more time. Share your water. If we're going to tear down the wall of the racial and cultural divide, we must be willing to share our water with people who are not like us. Man can go quite a while without food, but deprive yourself of water and see how long you last. Water is the most basic natural substance we need for survival, but the water I'm talking about here is not just natural water, but also, please hear me, waters of influence and power. Separation of people. Do you have your listening ears on? Are you listening? Separation of people does not work even when equality is sought because there is no such thing as separate but equal. It does not exist. But when we're together, 
The one who has the water. The one who has the power. The one who has the influence can choose to share his water with others. I believe Foursquare is poised to lead the church in tearing down walls of separation because our president, Dr. Glenn Burris, chose to share his platform of influence with people who are different. We have a woman who serves as our general supervisor who is our most influential vice president. Glenn decided to share his platform of influence with me when he recommended me to serve as the first black chairman of the board of Foursquare. Of the 25 voting members of our board, six are female, four are black, one is Hispanic, and one is Hawaiian. People who have power and influence will make a choice to either share that power and influence or not share it with people who are different. And we remove the walls of separation and we create healthy diversity when we choose to share our water with others. Now, if, if, if you do not, or if we do not have influence, if we do not have power, then what do we share? Mmm. Glad you asked that question. We share our waters of honor, of respect, and of submission to those who do have the power and influence. And some of you don't like that. You was preaching real good, Pastor, until you got to that submission thing. I'm trying to, t- listen, I'm trying to help you. And I'm trying to help every one of you understand because, listen, you're either, you're either one side or the other. Okay? And I'm trying to help you understand how you can tear down the wall of separation. So people who do not have power and influence, they still have something to share. They have life-giving water to share. And that life-giving water is honor, it's respect, it is submission to those whom God has placed in authority. Those godly attributes will cause those who have influence to give you a seat at the table. You got to get this. To give you a seat at the table. But if you're not at the table, and if you want to get to the table, and you act in a divisive, if you act in a mean way, if you act in an ungodly way, even towards something that may not be right. If you act in a way where the person or people with power do not trust you, you will not be invited to the table. 
And if you get to the table and begin to act in an ungodly way, you will probably be uninvited. Listen, those godly attributes of honor, respect, and submission will cause those with influence to give you a seat at the table, thus creating, listen, this is how you create diversity from the bottom up. (laughs) That went right over some of your head. See, diversity can be created from the top down. Or from the bottom up. Walls of separation can be torn down from the top down or from the bottom up. People who are at the top, they share their water of influence and power. People that are at the bottom, they share their water of honor, respect, and submission. Diversity does not flow out of man-made processes, but it flows out of heavenly virtues. In the natural, listen, it is easier to trust in people who look like we look, think like we think, act like we act. But that is a tribal mentality, a type of behavior that does not tear down walls, but will only serve to build more walls. Jesus asked this woman for some water, which absolutely blew her away. No well-respected Jew would ever drink from the cup of a Samaritan, let alone a Samaritan woman who'd lived a promiscuous life. But Jesus understood the power of sharing. He understood the power of sharing. So he put aside what he knew people thought he should do to let this woman know that that he was not too good to drink from her cup. Give me a drink, please. What well are you drinking from? The well of this world that are rooted in hatred and bitterness or the well of God that brings eternal life? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You will be filled with one of two things concerning these issues, either the righteousness of God or the sinfulness of man. There is no in-between. Point number four. Point number four. Don't listen to the haters. Don't listen to the haters. And there are haters on both sides. Let me ask you a question. What do haters do? What do haters do? Haters hate. So why listen to people who are just spewing hate? It's what they do. You've got to guard your ears and your eyes of the things being said, things being posted on Facebook, things being tweeted by haters, or you will find yourself influenced, even consumed by the same hate. Because haters hate. Don't listen to them. You are a child of God and you're better off than that. Of all the things we do that that, that displeases God, I believe hating other people is at the top of his list because by nature, God is love. He loves all people and he expects us to do the same, even those who are different, those who think, 
who we think are beneath us or we feel is messed up in their thinking or in their values. God's expectations are that his children, those who have been born again into his image, would display his love to others and not hate. So stop listening to people who spew the venom of hate and bigotry. Those values do not reflect who God is, and they should not be a reflection of who you are. But if you continue to listen to the haters, you will slowly become who they are. And one day, you will look at those people, whoever those people are, with contempt and disdain. Listen, Jesus knew his disciples wouldn't understand what God was doing with this woman because they were haters. I don't mean that with any disrespect. It's true. Israel hated the Samaritans. So what did Jesus do? He let them go into town. Because he didn't want the haters around. (laughs) While he sought to give this woman living water, they sought earthly sustenance. How sad. But that is often the case with the church. We neglect the weightier, eternal matters of God's word and spirit in favor of what the haters are saying. And as long as we are more worldly-minded, then we are heavenly directed. We will continue to listen to the haters and unjustly judge others. And that brings me to my last point, point number five. Let God show you how he sees others. God wants to show you what he sees. He wants to open your eyes to a reality that you may be blind to. He wants to come to you and do surgery on your heart, but that surgery starts with your seeing. It starts with you getting a new perspective on other people. But you will never see people as God sees them if you're hating. You will never see people as God sees them if you're not willing to share your water with them. You would never see people as God sees them until you get rid of your tribal prejudices and you would never see people as God sees them until you're willing to meet them where they are. At a well. In the projects. At a trailer park. At a high rise. You see, it's often those who, it's, it's often not those who are poor according to the world standards that need God's, God the most, but those who have earned success. Yeah. The most miserable, disrespecting, prejudiced people of this world are often those who are well off. Yeah. After the encounter with this famous unnamed woman, the disciples of Jesus came and saw him talking to her, and they wondered why this good, why their good Jewish master was talking to a woman of Samaria, yet no one dared to ask him what he was doing. But on their return, the woman left the water pot. Why? Because the haters had come. You get that? When it was just her and Jesus, she was very engaging in dialogue. 
But when the other Jews came back, those whom she knew hated her. She left. She went back into the city. And she said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I've ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. They said to one another, has anyone brought him food to eat? Knowing that, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Then he spoke these words in verse 35. He says, do not say. Everyone said it with me. Do not say. Do not say there are still four months and then come to harvest. He said, behold. Look. I say to you. Lift up your eyes and look at the fields. For they are already white for harvest. And what did they see? They saw the men of Samaria coming to where Jesus was. The harvest he spoke about were the people of Samaria who are now coming to see and to hear this man. Jesus said, open your eyes, boys, and look. There is the harvest. There is the harvest. The harvest is in those people that you hate. The harvest is in those people that you refuse to go to. to get rid of your, your tribal prejudices towards. The harvest is in those people whom you refuse to share your water with. The harvest is in those people that you hate whom you refuse to see the way God sees them. Behold, let God open your eyes that you may see them the way he sees them, that you may see them the way I see them. And that is that the people that my father and I love very much, a love so great that I came into this world to die for them. Open your eyes. There is the harvest. And in John 4, 39, it says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I did. This famous, nameless woman 
when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we've heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. So Jesus stopped at the well for a drink of water, and he ended up staying for two days. Listen to this as I close. As I close, Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry. And you gave me no food. I was thirsty. And you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not come to me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. May I have some water, please? As I thought about God, where do we go when I'm done? <sighs> what I heard was go to a place of repentance. Yeah. Go to a place of repentance. So I want to open up this altar to you. And I want to challenge you to repent of whatever God pricked your heart about. Will you trust him with your heart? Will you trust him with your emotions? Those who will, find a place, get along with your father, and repent right now. And that concludes today's message. Thanks again for tuning in to the Restoration Foursquare Church audio podcast. We pray that today's sermon has encouraged and empowered your journey in following Jesus. If you would like to learn more about Restoration Church, please visit our website by going to r4sq.org. We pray you have a great week. God bless.